And, uh, you know, with all that Paul has taught in this letter about believers not being under the law, but being saved by grace, and living by walking by the Spirit, not being, uh, you know, under the law, but in fact walking by the Spirit in a relationship with God because of what Christ has done, to say, well, how, how does Paul end something like that? There's been so much amazing truth. And one of the interesting things is in this book that Paul keeps on teaching right up to the very last verse. If you're familiar with Paul's other letters, oftentimes he has personal greetings and things from the, different, the people at the place where he's at. Galatians night, he goes right up to the very end, teaching truth. In fact, he's, he's countered, you know, throughout this, this book, the, the wrong teaching, the false teaching of these, these teachers, these uh, sometimes referred to as Judaizers that have come in after him. And he's corrected the, the, the false things that they've taught. And now as he finishes up, he wants to expose also the fact that they have wrong Motives. Why have they been teaching these things that are contrary to what Paul has already taught them? Why are they teaching these things that are contrary to what the whole Old Testament taught leading up to this point? And he's, he's going to expose that underneath, they have reasons that don't go along with God's reasons. So follow along with me, if, if you would, as, we, as I read Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good show, showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh." But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one Cause trouble for me, for I bear on my own body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brother. Amen. And so as, he, as he's starting to wrap this, this letter up, if you were reading the physical copy of it, you would notice, I believe, a difference in what was written on the page. Uh, because, as Paul says here, see with what large letters I am writing to you, this with my own hand. Now, some people do think Paul hand wrote the whole book, but as, as if you're familiar with Paul's writing, usually he, he had other people, he, he would tell them what to write and they would write down his letters for him. Um, but at the end of his letters, he would take up the pen and he would put the final greeting on the end in his own handwriting. Um, and the, the idea of the large letters could be that he, he would write it in all caps. And that doesn't mean he's sh he shouting, for those of you who text. Although he did want emphasis. He wanted it to be noticed. 
And if you turn with me to, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, we get one of the reasons he did that. As he's, he's uh, challenging the Thessalonian churches to, to not be upset, he says that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or, listen to this, a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Six false teachers would come in or would send letters and say, oh, they would attribute it to Paul. They'd say, this is Paul's writing. And in Thessalonica, he was just, he was, they were upsetting people. They were thinking, oh, the Lord's already come, and here we are. What, what's happened? And so Paul says, no, th those letters aren't from us. And you get to the end of, of Thessalonians, you can see where he has established this practice in chapter 3, verse 17, where he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. And so here, Galatians, one of his, his earliest letters, he's, he's kind of introducing that, that practice and saying, notice, this is my own hand that's writing. You can see that there's a difference in this. And it was a very personal thing. Paul cared about these people. That's why uh, he'd gone on his, his missionary, first missionary journey and been there and risked his life in taking the gospel to them. And now when he hears that someone is teaching them something that is contrary to the gospel, that in fact is going to point them to trying to be saved by what they do, rather than simply trusting themselves to Christ for salvation, he writes this, this letter, but at the end he's sure to, to point out, this is authentic, this is really me, and you need to believe this because I'm the same one who brought you the saving gospel, the saving word that God offers you a gift of salvation based on what Christ has done. And so it's very important to him. And so now he launches in, on the other hand, to the people who have come and have given them false information in verses 12 and 13. And, and notice what he attributes to them first off in verse 12. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. Now, these false teachers, basically, as, as, we, as we go through this, this section, verses 12 and 13, are motivated by the fear of man. Of course, none of us are motivated by the fear of man, right? We get caught up in that sometimes, don't we? And as an effective tool of false teaching, a tool of Satan, to get us to, to be more concerned with what other people think than what God thinks, to get us to be more concerned about getting people to look at us and think good of us than to, to be concerned with pleasing God. And it runs in two directions. The first one, making good showing. That these false teachers and their followers weren't motivated by a conviction that God had spoken clearly through his word. They were more interested in pressing people who value religious acts. Notice that they were willing to, it says there, compel the Galatian believers to be circumcised. So they were willing to use pressure. They were willing to use guilt and compulsion 
rather than going to the scriptures and persuading people and demonstrating by love what the truth of the gospel was. They were just trying to get an external change. In this case, they wanted the men to undergo circumcision, go through a religious ritual, as now this is what makes you Jewish. Therefore, now that you're Jewish and, and under the obligations of the law, now you can receive Christ. And Paul says, and the reason they do it is there's people they want to impress by it. There's people who think that's how you are connected to God. And they want them to think well of them. They want them to see their, the numbers of people that they've gotten to, to be circumcised, the number of Gentiles that they've gotten to get under the law. Their motivation is wrong. Their motivation is that they fear man more than they fear God. They want the approval of man more than they want the approval of God. They have the other side of fear as well, which is being afraid of people. And it goes on to say there in, in verses 12 and 13, they do this simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Paul says that the bottom line is that they, want, they have a desire to avoid being persecuted, in this case, probably by the Jewish community, those people who have not believed the gospel, and our, our persecuting Christians, they're saying, well, if, if we get the Gentiles who come to Christ to be circumcised, then our, our, our Jewish brothers who don't believe in Jesus, well, they won't persecute us because we're kind of like right in there with them, right? It's like we're the same, and, but we have Jesus. We're just kind of a sect of, of Judaism. Not saying that there's a life-transforming difference that impacts Jew and Gentile alike. It's very different. And they're ashamed of a Savior who was so humiliated. Stop and think about the fact that he talks about the cross. We, we hear the, the, the term the cross. For a lot of people, it's just a piece of jewelry. It's something that's, that we, we hang on the wall. And it looks pretty. But death on a cross was brutal. It was horrific was humiliating. They stripped you down to, to nothing or almost nothing and hung you up in public and said, this person is a criminal who deserves to die a horrible death and everyone who is like them also deserves that kind of horrible death. And he's saying these people who are teaching you to obey the law, they're ashamed of the cross and they want to avoid being persecuted. They're not willing to stand up for that truth. That, that truth won't be tolerated in a worldly system to say Jesus had to go through all of that because you are such a sinner. That's what you deserved. That's not, that's not a message that people are wanting to hear if they're willing to, wanting to hold on to their own sin. So if you take out the necessity of the cross and Jesus' death for sinners, you won't face the same kind of persecution. It's not such an offensive message. And these false teachers were saying, well, let's, let's just put in circumcision there. And, and you know, and, and Jesus, you know, the, the cross, we don't have to emphasize that so much. 
and we won't get so persecuted. Because according to verse 13, not only that, but they also wanted to boast about these people who had been circumcised. They wanted to boast in this religious act. At verse 13 there it says, they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. And, and yet, they themselves weren't even willing to go all the way with obeying the law. If you remember earlier in Galatians it said those who accept circumcision, well, they, they're obligated to keep the whole law. Oh, but they're, they're like, well, we, want, we want the external symbolism, but we don't want the perfection in keeping the law that that, that calls us to. There's a hypocrisy in these people who are trying to make the Gentiles be under the law. They want them to take on circumcision because they can, you know, they can put another notch in their, on their, their list, right? So here's another Gentile that was circumcised, kind of made Jewish. And yet they themselves aren't willing to keep the whole law. In fact, in fact, they can't, right? We learned that in the book of Galatians. It's an impossibility. They aren't able to because the purpose of the law we learned in Galatians wasn't to make people holy, but in fact to help people understand their own sinfulness, understand their need for a Savior, understand that there's none righteous. We all fall to what the law has. In fact, when, when uh, the Apostle Peter was talking at the, uh, the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, he addressed that. Go ahead and, if you would turn there to Acts chapter 15, the whole point of, of that council was, you know, do, do Gentiles, non-Jewish people, do they have to follow the law? Do, they, do the men have to be circumcised? Do they have to bring themselves under the umbrella of Judaism first before they can be saved? And Paul's, or I must say, Peter's words there really bring the point home clearly. It says, now therefore, Peter says to the rest of the group, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. It's like, don't put this on them. God gave us the law. It was a gift, but the greatest effect of the gift was to show us we desperately needed a Savior. And the only way to be saved is that He gives a free gift that we can receive because Jesus paid for that gift. So don't take them back and now, having been made free, don't make them carry this weight. Don't make them bear the load of the law but send them into a life of grace, a life of knowing that Savior. And Paul, Paul tells us in, in, back in Galatians 6, the reason they, they wanted to put the, the, the Gentiles under the law was just to, again, to say, boy, we, we went to the Galatian region, and we went to those, those groups that Paul had started, and we got so many of the men, this number, you know, 15 in this 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 gathering and, and 25 in that gathering or however many in that gathering and, and, and we got them to be, to be circumcised. 
Oh, Jewish brothers, look at how we are expanding the influence of Christ. No, we're expanding the influence of, well, it's not really even Judaism. But it made them looked up to by people that they cared about their opinion more than they cared about what God wants. They're simply looking for bragging rights, pointing to numbers. And so look deeper when people try to push religious requirements on you. You have to look deeper at their motivation, Paul's saying. Why are they doing it? Often their purpose isn't to help you, but to have something to boast about, to brag about. And while we're there, be careful about that yourself. Is it when you're involved in ministry? People say, Well, how, how was your outreach event? Oh, it was really good. Yeah, we had so many people there. And then there were two people who, who prayed to trust Christ. Is that, is, a, is that a bad thing? Not if our, our object is to glorify God and say, Look at what God did there. But if it's, Look what we did. We drew this people in. We had this many accomplishments. We're really somebody to, to be thought of, we can fall into that same trap, can't we? Even to the point that we start changing our teaching. We're not faithful to the gospel, because that's what those false teachers were doing. And we've got to watch out for that, because the world around us says, oh, it's all about your numbers. It's all about how much of an influence you have that people notice. It's all about how many clicks you get on social media. It's all about those kind of things that don't truly matter. So watch out. You know, as we saw earlier in this chapter, you know, if someone falls, you restore such a one in a, fear, a spirit of fear that you don't fall, right? Be careful that you don't be tempted in the same way they are. So in pointing this out, Paul also, you could say, is, is issuing a warning. Don't be like them. And as Paul goes on, he says, but what about boasting? What about boasting? He says of myself, may it never be that I would boast. May it never be. It's one of those, those, those phrases Paul likes to use. He throws something out, he says, may that never happen. And he throws in some extra negatives. Right? That, oh, I don't ever want to reach that point that I would boast. Because Paul understands that way of thinking, of impressing other people, of being seen in the right way by people he wanted to impress. That's where he was as a Pharisee. That's where he used to live. But he has seen in Christ now the hopelessness of living that way because it's opposite of the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel brings glory to the Savior, right? It says, oh, look at what an amazing Savior we have, and he is capable of saving anyone and everyone, even a sinner like me. But then... What Paul says is, is that I would not boast. He gives an exception. And he says something really strange for the ears of the people who first read this. When he says, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, remember, for these people, a cross was a reality in their world. If they were around what Rome was doing at all, they seen somebody nailed to a chunk of wood and left to die a horrific death of suffocation and pain and agony. And Paul says, may it never be that I boast except in the cross of 
Jesus. But it's not just any person, but our Lord, Jesus, Messiah. He says, my boasting is going to turn everything about the world upside down. Who boasts about someone who has been crucified, hung up, humiliated, and shamed to the greatest degree? It says, Christians do. We boast not bragging, but rejoicing. That's kind of the, the shades of meaning in that word boast, right? You should get a little nervous with, with the word boasting, right? Because usually it has to do with pride. But it also has that idea of rejoicing. When it's, proud, when it's pride, I'm rejoicing in me, right? But Paul says, I'm rejoicing not in me. I'm rejoicing that my Savior loved us so much that it was a, a, an amazing person in being the God-man that he was willing to go through the awful, horrendous, horrific, torturous death of the cross for sinners to be saved. I will rejoice. I will be glad in that because it demonstrates how amazing he is, how glorious and loving he is. And yes, he went through something that, that if, if you had a relative who was, who was executed on a cross and someone asked you who hadn't seen you for a long time, well, what about your brother? And so you might change the topic. If they press you, you might say, well, he was crucified by the Romans. It's not something you wanted to talk about. A person who was crucified went through such awful pain and such humiliation, something to humiliate the entire family. Yet Paul says, I boast. I rejoice in that. Because that's really what this gospel is all about. It was the opposite of those who were trying to avoid the shame of the cross, those who were trying to avoid the persecution of this world. He could find one reason to boast, one reason to rejoice, and that was in his Savior and his willingness to go to the cross. But then he also applies it to his own life. Crucifixion for himself, he says, has an application. He says, through which... The cross of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You catch, catch the importance of the world being crucified to him. Jesus' death on a cross demonstrates the, truable, tr the true, horrible, horrific nature of sin. And the world system that has been created by sin. He said, it went up and it died the shameful kind of death in my mind as my Savior did. The world was shown to be that awful, deserving that kind of shame. That's what sin deserves, is that kind of shame that my, my Savior bore. And that's why he had to, to endure such a, a terrible thing. And so when I stop and think about what it cost him I say that should be on the world. That should be on sin. How can I associate with what caused such awful pain? How can I keep alive in my, in my imagination, in my priorities, something that caused my Savior to have to go through such 
torture and such humiliation? How could we even associate with it? How could we want to do the things that are so shameful? So he says the cross took that, the, the life of sin, the life of this world system, and put it on the, the cross. It's dead to me. But at the same time, he says, I am crucified to the world. Uh, rejoicing in the cross makes us just as repulsive to the world and its way of thinking. In fact, we just look awful because that whole concept is, is that it gets in the way of all our theories of, of self-accomplishment, our theories of self-sufficiency, of being good enough, of being strong enough, of being able to accomplish things well enough. It shows the shame and humiliation that our sin deserves, and the world wants none of that. So a sense in which we shouldn't, we shouldn't expect the praise and the acclaim of this world system, of the things around us. Don't be surprised if, if, if they're against you. Be surprised if they say good things about you in this world. Because what we stand for doesn't match up with what the whole point of why this system exists. The cross strips away the hollow prizes that this system promises will bring you fulfillment and shows the worthlessness of those prizes that it holds out as, oh, this is what you want, this is what you should live for. The cross says, no, those are all worthless. Jesus pointed out the fallacy of this, by the way. Turn with me to Mark 8, uh, verses 34 through 38. Mark 8, 34 through 38. It says, he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes, to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Whose approval do you want? Jesus lays it out there, doesn't he? You can either have the world's approval or you can have mine, but you can't have both. One comes with life. And the other just perpetuates the death that you were already in. And so being crucified to the world, it's, it's a good thing. It's all right if, if you're dead to them. Because that means you're truly alive. And then Paul kind of pulls, and, and pulls together all the things he's been teaching in a sense in verse 15. For he says, for neither is circumcision anything or uncircumcision it says those religious things, those externals that, the, that they're teaching you and that people actually are so wrapped up in and live for. The outward symbol of, of the old covenant was circumcision. And they're pushing this outward symbol where a piece of skin is cut away. 
And they got this physical demonstration. Here's, here's the religious thing that you did. He says it's of no value. But he also says, not being circumcised is also of no value. It's not about that outward physical symbol. These external things are of no significance. They don't gain you any favor with God and are not what a relationship with Jesus is about. This is a shocking statement to all religions. All people live by do this and do this and do that in order to have a right relationship with God, in order to deal with you. They hate that message because they're so invested in those physical symbols. But what matters then? Well, Paul continues on. Neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Or your translation might say, but what counts is a new creation. In other words, all that really matters is have you become a newly created being in Christ. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, please. It's probably a very familiar book but, or, or verse, but we need to read it again. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. The old person you used to be is crucified, dead, right? You have been made to be new from the inside out when you entrust yourself to Jesus. And you become united with him. Who you are has been changed radically from within by Jesus when you believe in him. And it's not just a fresh start. It is a fresh start, but that's not all. It's not as though you went back to being born as a baby. But when you're born again, this new creation, the word new is interesting. There's a couple words in Greek that, you could, that could, Paul could have used. One means new in time, just came into existence. Didn't, he didn't pick that one. He picked the one that emphasizes new in character, new in quality. So when you are a new creation, it's something totally different than you were before. It's a transformed, it's an it's a eternal you that comes about. It means a whole kind of different person, a transformed person. And nothing you can do symbolically in your body will bring about a transformed new person. In fact, if you remember back in, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul almost wrote this, this exact verse, except he changed the end. And when, when he does that, sometimes you're like, oh, we're, we're, these two things go together, right? Because uh, in verse 15 of, of chapter 6, we just read, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation back to chapter 5, verse 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. See, when you become this new person in Christ, what your life becomes is a life of trusting Jesus and then letting his love pour out through you. That's the new person. That's the transformed life that he has given to you. And so it's not about, hey, you can see that I've done religious things. No, it's you become new. You have a new relationship with the creator of the universe. 
his son, Jesus Christ, and out of you then pours his love. That's the difference. That's what this new life is all about. That's the mark of the new covenant. The mark of the old covenant was skin cut away. Very, it was visible if you looked in the right place, right? But the new covenant has a mark. It's a changed way of living. It's a way of loving people with the love of God. And it can actually be seen better, can it? Because the old mark of the old covenant was covered up all the time. Couldn't actually be seen. But the new covenant, you can see, you know a person who truly knows God who gives and loves and acts in a way that doesn't make sense in this world, who sacrifices themselves for the good of others and for the glory of God. It sticks out. This new mark, it's not physical, but it does get into the day-to-day real-world life. People will know our connection with Jesus when they see his love flowing out of us. Paul is, is, is coming to the very end. He says, and those who walk by this rule. Oh, it used to be a law we walked by, right? It says the new rule, the new, new measuring stick is the love of Christ flowing out to those who follow this new way of living. Being dead to the world and made new as an adult Heir of God is the way that Paul urges his, his, his uh, readers to live instead of by an external law. It's not a life of being under the law and following his rules. It's a life of lining up behind the Spirit as those who are in, intim- in, in, in an intimate relationship with the Father. Interesting, Paul uses when he says to walk this way. He says, those who walk by this rule, he uses the same word we just saw back in chapter 5, verse 25, that says, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk or line ourselves up behind the Spirit. Or like the way the NIV puts it, walk, um, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So now he's saying, and those who keep in step with this rule, letting the love of Christ flow out of you. So live. Live by the Spirit. And he says to those who do, peace and mercy be upon you. Peace, that's what comes in that new kind of life, right? Because you're living according to the direction of the Holy Spirit, according to the Word of God, According to a relationship with Jesus where his love flows out, peace comes with that. A being bound together, not pulled in many different directions because of, of the, the weakness of our flesh, but a, a sense of, okay, everything's okay here because I'm not part of this world that's so crazy. I'm part of a different kingdom. I live by the power of Christ in me. And mercy, yeah. I'm no longer condemned for my sin. But God has mercifully taken all my sin, put it on Jesus, and he bore it for me. 
it's a culmination and he say, because of, what he, of, of what's been going on with the nation of Israel all along because he says, and upon the Israel of God. Israel has needed mercy and peace. Always, right? An unbelieving Israel is in need of peace and mercy. And Paul's saying, here's how they find it. It's by living according to this measuring line. Not the line of the law. Not by their own ideas. But by entrusting themselves to Christ. And then Paul finally wraps it all up by basically saying, live in grace. He says, live in grace toward me, please. Verse 17, from now on let no one trouble me. For I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Paul had been through a lot in his, his ministry, in loving people with the love of Christ. In fact, in Galatia, and you can find this in, in Acts chapter 4, 14, 19, if you want to look it up, but he was taken out of the, the city and stoned and left for dead. Can you imagine the marks that left on him? Not to mention many other times he was beaten and, and the things he suffered for Christ's name said, if you want external marks, I have them. And he likened them to the brand that was put on a slave. The brand that was put on someone who was owned. He says, here, this shows who I'm owned by. I'm owned by Jesus. And so please, show me grace. Show me grace, because in Christ you've received it. And then he turns around in verse 18, he says, And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brethren. The letter ends with the key issue emphasized and directed toward believers. Grace. Let it be with your spirit. Let it be your hope. Let it be what you give to others. And so this letter ends with the most appropriate blessing. Grace is what gives us life and motivates that new life that those who believe now have. It puts our focus on the work of Jesus for us, right? We only have that gift because he extended it to us after he did all the work. But then it also turns our view around so that we now see our life as a gift that he is giving to others through us. We are channels of his grace. So he says, grace be with your spirit. Be those who give to others. Because you are Jesus' way of extending gift. Gift of salvation. The gift of love. The gift of forgiveness to all those who are around you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, your grace is so far beyond all that we can imagine. So help us to glory in it, to relish it, to continue to, to try to understand it more, and then to turn around and extend it uh, generously to others. Because you always seem to just make it grow all the more when we do that. And then your glory grows, and we want that more than anything. Please glorify yourself through us, people who are sinners saved by grace, uh, people who are in our own strength uh, infinitely weak. But by your power, you want to accomplish unbelievable things through us.
So help us to be those kind of vessels, those kind of, of ones who would uh, simply lay down our old selves and stop picking them back up and living for your glory and honor. We ask this, we praise you in Jesus' name.